Hey, look, we save hard drinks in here for men who want to get drunk fast, and we don't need any characters around to give the joint atmosphere. Is that clear? So the name of the podcast is Whiskey Talk. Right. Um, it's uh, oh. it's morning for me right now. It's about uh, well, it's coming up on seventeen hundred Zulu. <laughs> I love that you put the yeah. little Z there. Which, I had a project recently. I was working with a bunch of right. people all over the world. So we were using uh, yeah. UTC. Um, okay, yeah. And, okay. and somebody explained to me how that's different from Greenwich Mean Time. And I was like, I kind of get it. And then Zulu yeah, Time comes up. <laughs> right, right. Um, but Paul's not able to join us today. He has a, a lot of, he's, he's uh, pretending to be an adult and has a lot of deadlines he's got to meet um, all, across, all over Northwest Indiana. Um, but joining us today is my good friend, old friend, Jeff Woods, uh, who I've known for, man, 30 some years, almost as long as I've known my wife. Um, oh, yeah. pro- almost Pretty exactly close. probably as long as yeah. I've known my if wife. We pinned it on the same day. It'll be yeah. less than a percent off. But, uh, what happened was what had happened was I had posted something about the U- current situation, Ukraine and all of our shows, by the way, we decided to do two a week, um, we hadn't done one in a few years. Neither, neither of us had the energy with the all of this as I waved my hand uh, vaguely yeah. going on. And uh, when the, when Ukraine started to rev up, we started doing a show called Softcore History, which is I don't know if you know who Dan Carlin is. The hardcore, hardcore history. history, yeah, yeah. So I love it. I just absolutely love it. My friend Paul Volstorf turned me on to it, and and uh, just love it. So we started doing a little segment in our podcast called Softcore History as a, as a plan. So we decided to do the history of Russia um, and did a couple of shows. And then because we knew this was starting to heat up and, and then, mm-hmm. of course, the invasion happened and we said, well, we can't. Let's just talk about that. Sort of an audio blog. And then uh-huh. you commented on one of my Ukraine posts as if, like, right. you you really know this stuff. <laughs> And so that's the impetus of this. So I, I guess just this is just a conversation. About eight people will probably listen to it. Yeah, so yeah. We, we have no delusions of grandeur. <laughs> probably more people that you know will listen to it if you share it. Than, than I, this I will is, count this as among my claims to fame. Yeah, right. This is for this is so 15 years from now when whatever happens, happens, we can go back and go, what was I thinking about back then? Right, um, right. But How uh, so for the benefit of everybody, just who are you? Where are you? And by the way, some of this is classified. So uh, if you need us to cut anything out, just say it. Of course. Paul will cut it out. I'm currently in Norway, where it is a little after 6 p.m. here. Um, I've had dinner and my day is over. Um, I'm working aboard a uh, U.S. government cargo vessel doing, I'm going to put in air quotes, things. And uh, that's what I do now. Uh, I did this when I was, this ties into actually how I got into Ukraine. Uh, My first job out of college, uh, Rose Holman, where Steve and I met each other, was as a merchant marine radio officer. Uh, And when we graduated from school, we were in the middle of a recession. I couldn't find a job and I didn't particularly want to deliver pizzas. And so I answered an ad literally in the back of a magazine looking for radio officers for overseas shipboard employment and it worked out very well actually i didn't have any rent to pay i didn't have to worry about insurance 
all my meals were catered for. Somebody came and cleaned my room. And what they wanted me to do was operate the radio systems aboard ships, which I was quite good at. And so, so it fit. Uh, it, it's not a good job for a married family man. I did it for four years and then settled down and did the right thing and got my adult day jobs, a series of them. Uh, many of them working for Uncle Sam in some respect. Um, and it kept me kind of in the in the loop on uh, geopolitics, I suppose. We, we can just say that writ large. And as a young merchant mariner, I got a dose of it right up front. I mean, it's it, like water up your nostril when you jump in the water. You're involved in geopolitics, whether you want to be or not. Uh, and so my first job out, my first ships were in the in the Gulf War. Uh, we were I didn't get in until after the shooting had stopped and we were, we were carrying cargo back. Uh, but then immediately after that, my next job was working for a company on, they call them bulk, bulk carriers. That's how all of the grain, the corn, the soybeans, the wheat, the oats, the sorghum goes from the fields of Kansas or Iowa or South Dakota out to the world at large or on these giant bulk carriers. And what we did, I worked for a company who carried USA cargo around the world. And, you know, I, I liked it. I was carrying the product from Iowa, where, I, where I'm from, where I grew up, uh, out to the rest of the world. But if you, if you stop to think about where, where a ship carrying aid cargo is going to go, right, we're not going to the south of France. We're not going to New York City. You know, we're not going to end up in Tokyo. We're going to end up in those, those backwaters of the world that are having trouble feeding themselves right now. And it led me to some interesting places. Uh, and among those places were the, the Black Sea, former Soviet republics. Uh, you know, U Ukraine was the first one I went to, Ukraine and Georgia and Russia. And I was in Ukraine twice. And this was in 1993-94. And Ukraine was the first former Soviet republic to declare its independence in 1991. And so at the time we got there, all of these these countries were in flux. They didn't know what they wanted to be when they grew up, and they weren't even sure how to adult. Uh, and you could see it because they, in in the the customs officials are they they have the old USSR passport stamps. Those are all out. I've got I've got those in my passport from back oh, wow. then. Right. And and when you think about building a nation, right? Here you are, Steve. You're in charge of everything. What are you going to do? And, and our prior conversation about government, what government really is, mm. it's all the little processes that keep a nation running, keep it safe. And so Ukraine was figuring that out. And, and Ukraine was really, really the most interesting of the three countries I visited uh, because you, you, you come into a country as a sailor, as a merchant mariner, sort of from the back door. You're not coming in from the airport. You don't get the tourist treatment. You're one of them. You hop in a taxi cab. Uh, and you go try to find some food or, you know, to work your way around town. And so we got to know the cities very well and the people. And the people actually really like to talk about a free and independent Ukraine and how they were so happy that since, you know, the Soviets essentially took them over, ate them for lunch, and this was their chance to get out. And, and the, the yearning that they had to be to be their own nation was palpable even in 1993. Uh, and so I've always followed Ukraine ever since then. I've kept up with you know the ebb and flow of how their how their society is going, where they're having successes and failures. And, and you know one of the maddening things 
to me, <laughs> you, you've heard it, right? Everybody's an expert on Corona. Everybody is an expert on whatever the next big thing that comes up on the right. internet, right? You know what I'm right. talking about. Steve. All the people and, who were, uh, had, were uh, medical doctors and had PhDs in epidemiology right. suddenly are experts in uh, right. East-West geopolitics. Right, armchair generals. Are, yeah. So whatever the crisis is. And you know, I try not to comment on things about which I have no knowledge, but the Ukraine cycle came up. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm isolated where I am right now. I, have no tel I haven't seen the TV in two months, three months. I mean, it, there just isn't any here. I'm, I'm in a very remote part of Norway, as it happens. There's, I get one FM radio station, and in the evenings, I pick up uh, stuff from the UK. Uh, there's a few stations that have North Sea kind of beams on the AM radio band, and I listen to that. And now you may have seen in the news, the BBC just fired up a couple of shortwave broadcasts for nice. Europe. And I'm an avid listener because that's where I'm getting most of my news right now. That and my Twitter feed, which we'll, we'll get into later. Like Radio and Free I'm, Europe. I'm not saying stuff. Yeah, Radio Free Europe used to be out there. And the, the first yeah. time I went out in, in the 90s, we were out there. We were doing Radio Free Europe. Radio Moscow was still around. You can get information when you were out remote. And so now everybody relies on the internet. So the point being, I don't have a lot of external influences. All I have is I've got my lived experiences and what I know from keeping tabs on Ukraine as it goes by. Yeah. And I suppose it's given me some insight into the, the situation without the distraction of having the news media noise pushed down my throat. And, and so- Armchair generals and quarterbacks, that, that reminded me, that was right. the post. <laughs> That you commented on. It was oh. my quote from uh, oh, right, right. It was. Disposable Heroes of the Hypocrisy song, TV Drug of the Nation. That was a that was an excerpt yeah. from that because it was like yeah. perfect timing for this. Instead of TV now, for us, it's Twitter and right. Facebook and right, right. Telegraph or Telegram or whatever the, the right wing uh, Facebook is. Yeah, Although I was yeah. seeing and, there's, and a, there's an awful lot of Ukrainians putting stuff on Telegraph now. I, I noticed. Yeah. Ukrainians have have used uh, social media and I'm going to call it information warfare because that's really what we call it. Uh, used it very well, uh, remarkably well, as a matter of fact. Um, <laughs> and the United States has turned a new page as well in the use of their intelligence assets for the purpose. Of, we'll call it information warfare. We'll call it propaganda. Uh, Avril Haines, the new director of national intelligence, is the first one to not be afraid to use the information that she has. Uh, if you watch the Biden administration, the two weeks in the run-up to the war, they were a step ahead of Putin. And what they were doing, right, you saw this, was was putting out what his next move is going to be. Here's what he's going to do. Here's what he's going to do. Here's what he's going to do. And the purpose of that was to, to keep Putin back on his heels mm. uh, and keep him guessing. And, and it also exposed what his game plan was going to be. So in the words of the who, we don't get fooled again, right? <laughs> Everybody knows this is coming and you can't say, oh, this happened. Uh, you, you get ahead of the narrative. And that's a big part, actually, of what we're seeing in Ukraine right now. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why they've been so successful in, in this, uh, I don't know if we could call it, insert, is it in this defense of their nation. It, it really roughly, was. It seemed like a lot of the intelligence was, you know, people, whether we joke with all the time, Paul is, an, is a TikTok addict. But it seems like yeah. a lot of like TikToks and stuff were showing troop movements and things on the railways yeah. Uh, yeah, in Russia and Bel yeah. Belarus. 
And that's really a lot of the intelligence was, hey, look, all these tanks is, and they're not leaving at the end of their so-called exercises. Right, right. And they're going, hey, wait a second, look where the sun is and look when this was taken. And you can tell uh, that they're headed towards and not away from. Right. With with your with your knowledge and, and you you paying close attention and what information you were able to get being out on the water, mm -hmm. um, were you surprised that so so a lot of people, even when when President Biden was saying, hey, Russia is preparing for an attack and even yeah. Ukraine, for whatever reasons, it's an again, it's an information war, whether it they is. truly believed it or not. They were saying that, nah, you know, stop hyping people up. You're hurting our economy. People are just panicking. Stop mm -hmm. saying they're going to invade. Were you surprised that they actually invaded or were you like, oh, yeah, they're definitely going to invade? Oh, yeah, I knew they were going to do it. Hmm. I knew they were going to do it. And the reason I know is because Putin didn't really ask for anything new. Mm. Right. He wasn't trying to squeeze something out. There was no ask. He put mm. out a paper on December 17th that actually everybody should go read because that was his manifesto that started this. And that's where he demanded that NATO pull back to the 97 boundaries. Uh, he made a bunch of demands that he knew damn well weren't going to be accepted, that they were untenable. And and he points back to that in his uh, domestic policy and says, look, this is what we asked for. Now, having seen that, when that came out, and I, I got wind of that uh, maybe shortly after Christmas, I mean, given where I was at the time and the information flow. Uh, but when I read that, that's when I knew it was serious. Mm. You know, that he's asking for things that he knows he can't get. And then when I see the buildup of military troops, and nothing happening on the negotiation front, right? So there, you know, he's not really negotiating, right? So the you you mentioned the previous what year, in that in that de December seventeenth paper, what boundaries was he pushing for? Uh, nineteen ninety seven was his marker. Holy yeah. moly! What? Why Before is nineteen ninety seven significant? I don't really know. Right. Uh, it may have been when we started taking in the Baltic states. Okay. Uh, I suspect that was the answer. And then, uh, but no. So uh, you know, 2014 is the is the the year that most of well, 2013 into 2014, a lot of us. So we did do a show where we talked about some of this history, but just kind of a flyby, not even as detailed as a Wikipedia article. But you've got the um, the pro-Russian uh, leaders in Ukraine for a while, up, and then in 2013. Everybody thought, or everybody, but the Ukrainians generally were feeling the pull toward Europe. And we see a lot of this in the, and I'll put a link to um, Winter on Fire. Um, what an excellent doc documentary. We'll put that in the show notes. But I got, you know, some of it from Wikipedia and some of it from the documentary. Uh, they thought they were, they were moving toward Europe uh, yeah. more and more. And then this pro-Russian leader says, nah, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to move closer to to Russia. So then you have the Maidan uprising um, where it's a revolution. Right. The it's, leader yeah. quits. Yonat, what's his name? Yanukovych. Victor Yanukovych. Yanukovych. Yes. Yanukovych. Yeah. Uh, flees, the, flees Ukraine and a new leader, a more pro-Western leader is elected. Russia invades. Right. <laughs> invade. You've got Putin's green men to annexes Crimea. And they invade the Donbass region. Um, were you surprised by that piece of it? Like, was this all that, a surprise to you? That did surprise that me. 
Okay. That did surprise me. Uh, and if you recall where I was in 2014, I'd spent some time in a hospital. And so yeah. it kind of, it did take me by surprise. I wasn't really following, but I didn't, I did not think Putin would do what he did. And I also firmly believe that we did not react well to that. Mm. Right. Mm. And Putin did the old soft power takeover. I'm going to recommend yeah. uh, there's another, it's a Netflix series, but it's called Occupied. And it's done by the Norwegians. Uh, it's in English, but they talk about a scenario where uh, there's a soft power takeover of their country by the Russians to to secure their their petroleum supply, their oil supply. Mm. And so, in that series, they lay out the methods that Putin typically uses, right, as part of his yeah. takeover, and that is consistent with what we saw in Donbas and uh, and uh, Crimea. You know, he just sort of slides things in incrementally and overwhelms. Um, and it, it was something I could could have seen happen in, in the U.S. when oh, yeah. when the um, it, it was yeah. just weird when the when the protests um, were happening uh, right. in in or, D.C. and then we saw we saw some unmarked, <laughs> no insignia uh, right. law enforcement with right. with weapons and just wearing you know. The, the bulletproof vests and no insignia. Nobody knew who they were. Right. And right. I thought instead of instead of Putin's little green men, we have Trump's little black men, I guess. Exactly. That's what I thought, too, that there was a flashback to the little green men. I yeah, that was Border Patrol has some. Uh, it was there another agency as well. There were multiple agencies, yeah. apparently. Okay. And yeah. and reporters were asking them where they were from. And they're like, just not talking to them. And then we come to find out they were from multiple agencies. And they, there was some story about why they didn't have insignia. I don't think they were ever yeah. intending on taking over, but it was weird. But, but again, if there were enough of them, they could very well have done so. Yeah, absolutely. So this is so he does this soft power takeover, which is has been kind of right out of his playbook. And do you think um, so? I've heard some talk that maybe that was the plan for Ukraine this time around, except it couldn't be as soft because it's such a large country. And the hope was send in a lot of force yeah. and Kiev will fall in it. By the way, is it Kiev or Kiev? Everybody's saying Kiev. Kiev is like, the like it suddenly became one syllable. It was two syllables forever. Next thing you know, it's one syllable. Like when did that happen? It was uh, 1922. We've all been mispronouncing it incorrectly. I'm it's all for Russian, mispronouncing stuff correctly. It's the R Russian pronunciation. Kiev. It's but Kiev. shouldn't there be a little Y in there? Shouldn't it be like Kiev? Kiev? Kiev. Anyway. I, I, so, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm not a linguist. Just nor am make I sure I'm, I'm, I'm mis if I'm going to mispronounce it, I want to do it correctly. Right. Kiev um, is the way they prefer it to Kiev. be pronounced. So if I heard a Ukrainian say it, it would sound like Kiev. Yeah. I guess I got to change. So do you think the plan was now this is where I'm going to yeah, be like, yeah. what, what the yeah. heck happened? Were you surprised by this oh, full yeah. frontal assault? This is where it gets interesting. Do you think that the plan was like, get you get Kiev to fall quickly, get Zelensky to leave the country and put in a puppet government and it's done in a few days and it's kind of a soft power takeover, but lots mm. more soft, like overwhelming soft power. And now it's yeah. turned into a slugfest. Right. Exactly. Or, what do you think the plan was? I uh, think and, that and what was, do you think that <laughs> and is it working the way obviously it's not working the way Putin thought it would, right? No. No. He's got he had some bad information. Okay. Um, 
it was never intended to be drawn out. And you can tell because of the, the logistics of the Russian forces, they're in disarray. You know, mm. they didn't come prepared for a long fight. And that's, that's telling. You can read a lot into it by that. Mm. Uh, I believe it started when they, when they were massing troops on the border and he expected to get a back down or some fearful reaction from the EU, from NATO, and from the United States. He didn't get that. We all held our ground and said, no, don't do that. There will be consequences. No, we're not giving. Right. And so we, in retrospect, kind of backed him into the corner because as a narcissistic strongman dictator, he cannot back down. And I think he's mentally changed a bit since the Mm -hmm. pandemic. Um, Normally, he would have crafted a way out or perhaps seen the writing on the wall. And I'm sure diplomatically he was given signals that, no, we are not going to fold. Uh, but he kept pressing, he kept pressing. And he, we have to talk about Putin's personal situation right now. Uh, the intelligence reports say that he, he's been, for the last two years, holed up with a small circle of friends around him because he's afraid of COVID, because he, mm. he's, he's uh, terrified of getting it. And because of that, his circle of advisors, the influence of the general, the Politburo, everybody, not the Politburo, but the, you know, the, the, the successor to that, Mm-hmm. hasn't been around to moderate him. And so, again, this is why I say he had some bad information. I, I, I watched for three weeks this buildup, and I said, I, I've got friends who I, I chat with on a, you know, it's an encrypted chat, and we go back and forth on these things. And I said, I, I don't see how he wins this. I don't see any way he comes out of this stronger. But mm-hmm. he's no idiot. He's, I, I assumed he was smarter than me or had better information. And it turns out he didn't, that there wasn't, he didn't have a plan out of it. So his plan out of it had to be the obvious, which is we're going to go in, Ukraine's going to collapse, Zelensky being, Zelensky's a former TV comedian, Mm -hmm. right? You wouldn't think that given the the massive size of his uh, gonads right now. (laughs) But Putin, always into stereotypes, thought that they were going to run. And they did not. So you were saying you didn't see any way he wins it even before the invasion started. Even before the invasion started, wow. I could not find a single way which he would come out of this stronger. Wow. Even if he had just taken, like, like, let's say their plan would have been just to, you know, call them breakaway republics, whatever, whatever you, yeah. the, right. the, in the Donbass region. Uh-huh. If he had consolidated, like if he had put troops yeah. there, just consolidated that, let them be independent or even absorb them into Russia, mm-hmm. um, could he have done that? Yeah, and would that have made very it easily. Very easily. Okay. He could have uh, he could have rolled into those two provinces with not a lot of opposition and nobody would have said boo. And yeah. he could have continued chewing it up a little at a time. Yeah. With with greater success, because where is the border? Well, who knows where the border is? And I we just moved it 50 feet today. Right. Yeah, right. You can incrementally do that without setting off any alarms. And that is more his playbook, right? That's a soft power playbook where you just mm-hmm. do a little here and a little there and your little green men show up. And he didn't do that this time for some reason. And I can't explain that. So the full frontal, full scale invasion is not mm-hmm. what you expected. I'm on record as being ignorantly saying, uh, I, you know, ignorant American, right? Even though I've, I know a little bit more maybe than the average American, but not much. Maybe a few um, words of French. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, je ne sais pas. So I, 
Um, and I can say, how do shock workers live in Russian? And I can say shock workers live well, but that's it. <laughs> um, why do I know shock? Anyway, I, I, know, Steve. I, in my head, the way I saw this going is exactly how, so I guess maybe I'm about as smart as Putin. I saw it going the way Putin was seeing it. And I thought, okay. Okay, I get that Ukraine Ukraine's a country in the you know, until three months ago, I didn't know why it was offensive to say the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Now I know. Um, and that's by the way, that's how I can quickly tell what side of this is somebody's on is if they say oh, the Ukraine, really? I immediately know. Right? Oh because I, I had heard somebody yeah, yeah. talking about it, I think a Ukrainian actually. Yeah, uh, I le- I learned that from Ukrainians when I was there. Was saying, yeah, the Ukraine yeah. is trying to minimize this. Make oh, it's just a little region of Russia, right? The Ukraine. It's like right. just yeah, you no. know, the the badlands, you know. Yeah, they called it Ukraina when I was there. Ukraina. Oh wow. Ukraina. Um, so I figured, like, again, ignorant American, especially coming off of the 2014, those were Ukrainians. It's like I was uh, I think I was messing oh, right. those were Ukrainians crushing the Maidan protests. That wasn't right. Russia in their so right. I thought you know, maybe it's 50-50, but, you know, Russia rolls in. How much sure. worse off am I if Russia's running the place than if than if Ukrainians are running the place? And, hey, maybe it's pro-Russian Ukrainian. Like, the last four years with Trump running the place, four, you know, 2016-2020, was horrible. I hated it. But would right. I pick up a weapon? Would I make Molotov cocktails to fight, you know, if, if Trump runs again in 2024 and wins? Am I going to you know, am I going to pick up a weapon and stand a post? No, I'm not going to start an insurgency. I'll hate it. So mm-hmm. I was kind of comparing it to that and saying, yeah, maybe they will. You know, with with the, all this armor rolling in, maybe the Ukrainians will say, oh, hey, you know. Yeah. And boy, did I miss call that. I mean, just mm-hmm. watch it. And if I had watched Winter on Fire, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would have known different, <laughs> right? Right. So why it so? So now we're seeing the Ukrainians. And by the way, this is the only reason I think, in my opinion, the only reason the West is coming to their aid is they're, it's, not, it's not a token. Like, like if, if they did fall, the West would be like, oh, we don't like that they fell, a few sanctions. Right. And, right. But the fact that they're putting up such a fight, are you surprised they're putting up such a fight? I am. I, I am astonished at, at the, the skill that they are bringing to this fight. I did not expect the Ukrainians to take it head on militarily. Mm. Uh, they, they are much stronger militarily than, than I had understood. Uh, many of them who are fighting now, are, were, were the guys who are our age were trained in the Soviet way and they're good at it. Uh, I believe that their military has been supplemented perhaps by contributions from friendly nations. Uh, they seem to be doing very well, better than expected. I, what I expected was because clearly they're coming in playing from a, a position of weakness. And uh, of course, knowing the people of Ukraine, I knew that they weren't going to sit quietly. And the, in my head, the, the most rational strategy would be to simply uh, do a death of a thousand paper cuts, bleed them dry, make it difficult. And instead, Ukraine, for whatever reason, perhaps they had good intelligence, which is really where I'm suspecting right now that we may have shared some intelligence with them that the Russian invasion forces were not maybe the top-notch guys or as strong as we think. 
mm -hmm. uh, and they knew how to how to thwart that advance. And it's really been incredible. You you can't discount the, the bravery of those Ukrainians as they tackle it. They know it's a lose. Everybody knows it's a losing fight eventually. But the more caskets they send home, the more viral videos they send home, and that's the key in this fight, is all the Russians now have their phones, they have TikTok also. And when you see, you, you're, you're starting to see this. Uh, have you seen the pictures from New York Times about the family that was hit by a mortar blast crossing a bridge yesterday? Oh, Killed a family know. of four and their dog right in oh, front of God. a New York Times reporter, right? And you're going to start to see russian soldiers executing ukrainian civilians in cold blood mm. it's gonna happen right mm. it's just the bell curve says that there'll be some gung-ho rambo russian guy who does it and those are going to go home and so the game now is to hold out play that propaganda war and turn the tide in russia mm. uh, that's really the best case scenario for this day and how about this guy Zelensky, as you as you mentioned a, a tv comedian that yeah. that played a history teacher who got caught on video uh, ranting about how the government needs to do better. That video goes viral, and this history teacher becomes president. Right. So, right. So, so Zelensky, who played the president on TV, I've heard right. him compared to like somebody. Uh, I think it was either New York Times or Washington Post uh, podcast was saying. The best comparison they could think of was either like John Stewart or Stephen Colbert, um, mm -hmm. or even like Wayne Brady, because Wayne Brady can dance. And he actually Zelensky won the Ukrainian uh, Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> did he really? <laughs> he did. <laughs> and so this guy comes out who has yeah yeah he, he could be you know he could be a celebrity in the West, right? He could have right. he could have run he could have run a government in exile, but some instinct in him said. This is worth dying for because clearly right. none of us will be surprised to pick up, you know, our Twitter feed any day and find out he's been he's got right. Spetsnaz after him for. Oh, sure. Left. Yeah. But he decided this is worth dying for. And boy, did he rise to the moment. Yes. And he knows how to use social media. That's how he, he does. Probably how he got elected. Right. And he he's, you know, being an actor, you're you're in control of your emotions and how you present. And it's a tremendous asset, especially in a time like this. He knows that, that he's got to put on the game face when it's time. Uh, and it's hard. Don't don't minimize that skill. It's a good thing. I mean, many great leaders could actually be fine actors. Uh, he, he's risen far above where I thought he would be. I really thought he was a light lightweight when he when he first rose to power. But the Ukrainian people knew otherwise. They saw mm. something in him. And yeah. we're continuing to see that. Now we get to see that. Yeah. So uh, what's next? What um, what should we be looking for? What do you think's what do you think's the next trajectory here? Sure, sure. I wrote about that actually uh, just today in my Facebook feed. You can see it, but mm. I'll expound upon it. What I'm looking for and what will influence all the events going forward right now is how does Putin find a way out of this that saves his own skin because every decision he makes will be based on that mm -hmm. all right and i don't believe anything is off the table in his his mind uh because history does not look kindly on dictators who lose wars they mm -hmm. never they never live long and i'm sure he's keenly aware of that so he has to find some way out of this in which he remains in power and can can salvage something from it 
uh, because the alternatives are not good. Uh, the only other two alternatives I see being plausible are one full scale war, which is ugly. But yeah. guys, if you, you, you duck your head in the sand, that's the quickest way to make it happen. You have to confront that and you have to be ready for it or that will happen. Or internally a coup, a shift of power inside the inside Russia takes them out. And that to me is the the best alternative that we could hope for. Uh, is that the Russian people handle this somehow and it gives them a chance to do a reset and whoever the new leader is, we can negotiate with that person because we don't have all the history, uh, you know, and all the uh, fronting that, that Putin did. Uh, so that, that's a good way out. Otherwise, if we start seeing feelers come from him and there's a way to, to diffuse this, to simmer it and let it down, that's what we need to be looking for right now is how can we come up with a situation that doesn't take Putin out of power, ends the war, and it won't be ideal. We, there will have to be some compromises made, uh, and maybe it is the, the regions in, in eastern Ukraine. I, I don't know. Uh, to me, if I were in the king of the world here or I were throwing out proposals, I would say, okay, how about we have a referendum in Crimea about whether you want to join Russia or whether you want to be, go back to Ukraine? Uh, and I believe that the people would vote to join Russia and it would be legitimate. And we could mm -hmm. say, here's here's a territory of Russia that is, you know, did self-determination the right way. And here's the example. That's where I would love to see it go. Um, mm -hmm. Will it go that way? I, I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. But my my point is to keep your eye on Putin, keep your eye on what Putin's interests are above all else. That will be the driving factor. So there. The, a lot of knee-jerk, like uh, chicken hawks, <laughs> mm -hmm. saying, you know, no fly zone, uh, yeah. you got to punch a bully in the face, you know, that kind of thing. Um, sure. Sure. So Even the U.S. has ruled out the no fly zone. Right. Is that the right call? Yeah, I believe it is. Um, Adam Kinzinger has come out in favor of it, um, and, you know, he makes his, his arguments, and you can watch his arguments. They're good. They're worth watching. But the question that you have to ask is, what would we gain by it? What, what would be the thing that we hope to gain by it? And I don't know that there's a good answer for that. I mean, mm -hmm. it would be better defense of the Ukrainians, but would it really? Because you're going to end up in a confrontation with Russians. You'll end up with U.S. planes and Russian planes shooting at each other. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's a game. Uh, currently, we have a stranglehold on the Russian economy, and perhaps in the U.S. it's underestimated just how severe that is. You can't use uh, an American Express card, a Visa card in Russia, or maybe it's MasterCard, but all of those institutions are crumbling. Russia mm -hmm. is in some pretty severe pain right now, and we know how to squeeze on those levers. Let's squeeze on those some more. I think that the trouble you get in implementing a no-fly zone is far greater than it's worth. And perhaps we can revisit that later. Perhaps it can be a negotiating tool. But our goal right now, especially the United States, is to avoid direct confrontation. Uh, and we're pushing that to the EU and the NATO states uh, to become the front lines. And really, we need to keep it that way. The uh, U.S. needs to stay out of the fight uh, also, because if we do get sucked in, then we become vulnerable to China, which is a whole other subject. But uh, I have friends who are big on on 
that aspect of it. But the way we're fighting it right now by letting Europe handle Europe and us back stopping Europe like we did in World War II with Lend-Lease uh, is working. And so if it's working, let it work, continue to push it, continue to do the things that, you know, work well. This is Steve, this is management one-on-one stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you, if you look at this as a business problem and you look at what's working and what doesn't and what your gains right. are and what your losses are and your risk factors straight up, that's how it works. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can see in that window behind you that it's starting to get dark there. Oh, it's dark here. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's always dark there. I love that when you said the sun's rising and Rob says, yeah, and it'll be setting in about 15 minutes. <laughs> um, what uh, information sources? No, uh, you said you have a Twitter feed. Wow. Um, we can't, We obviously, sitting here in the U.S., some of our European friends could listen to that BBC thing, but we can't really mm-hmm. listen to it sure. from here. I don't have a shortwave radio. So who do you follow on Twitter? Uh, there's a lot of people I've been following and I, and I follow for long term, but Michael McFowell, he's a former ambassador to Russia. I believe in the Obama administration. He's good. Um, Malcolm Nance is an ex CIA. He's got his finger on the pulse very well. Uh, he and, uh, let's see, Natasha Bertrand, I believe she's a reporter. I don't have my list up here right now. Let me see what I've got feeding through. Um, Nina, this is a good one. Nina Jankowitz is her name. She just wrote a book a couple of years ago called How to Lose the Information War. And she did her graduate studies bopping around Eastern Europe, looking at the countries that were coming under the influence of the hardliners, the right wing people, and how they used information as a tool to shape the landscape. Um, she's been very quiet on Twitter lately, which makes me wonder if she might be contributing in some official capacity. But mm. follow her. She's she's a good read. What, whatever she posts is always insightful. Mm. Uh, let's see what else we've got here. John, John Cipher, S-I-P-H-E-R. He's ex-CIA. Uh, as well as Michael Hayden, former director of the CIA. He occasionally drops some things loose. Uh, this is a, a must-follow is there's a fellow named Tom Nichols. He's a professor at the U.S. Navy War College. He's an expert in nuclear confrontation. Uh, he's a snarky, witty writer as well. So follow him on Twitter. It's quite entertaining. Nice. Uh, he has some good insight on the, the odds of use of nuclear power in this conflict. And he says we're nowhere near that point yet. He says that when, when you see Putin threaten nuclear power, what Putin's doing is admitting that he's got a weak hand and that's all he's got. So he's a, if you're concerned about that aspect of it, definitely follow Tom Nichols and follow the people who comment on Tom Nichols' posts. Yeah, I, I heard a um, another podcast I discovered. They were talking about nuclear, um, like how the Russians view nuclear, use of nuclear weapons, totally oh, really? different than how we do. I'd like to hear more. It's, it's called the, the Realignment. And his name is David Kilcullen. He's, he's written books on insurgencies and resistances. Wow. By the way, that's another interesting thing. I'll get to the nuclear thing here. But the, he said, you have to remember there's a difference between an insurgency and a resistance fight. He said what we were facing, so for example, in Iraq, eventually, at first maybe it was resistance, but once we, once we turned the government over uh, mm-hmm. to Iraqis, it was an insurgency. He said, what you're going to see in Ukraine right now, it's not, and even once the major fighting, you know, if the Ukrainian military falls apart or whatever, and puppet right, governments, right. it's a, it's a resistance fight. But anyway, 
So what he was saying is the way Russians view, and although this goes back to Soviet days, the way they view nuclear weapons is this whole idea of escalate to de-escalate, which is they have tons of tactical nukes, like a a tenth the size of a Hiroshima bomb or something. And they have doctrine to use them to clear clear battlefield, like like a couple of different things. One was, let's say there's a fleet coming from the U.S. toward... Europe to join the fight, they would yeah. use a nuke to take it out and then cause the U.S. to say, well, maybe we don't want to send another one. We'd, and, but would the U.S. use their strategic nukes? Right. No citizen, you know, no, no civilians were injured, very little environmental damage. Mm-hmm. We just, we lost a fleet. Uh, are we really going to send our Minutemen uh, in right, response? Right, right. So they might do something. Do something in a battlefield situation where they clear a path to to move an armored column through or something. Now right. those conscripts right. are going to die from radiation poisoning, but at least they were able to push through a certain. So one of the things that was fascinating to me was like maybe we should we should all keep this in mind because maybe he will use a tactical nuke somewhere. But and I've seen people speculate on that very tactic right now. Now and this, so this this ties in with it. I was actually incredulous that they were going to do that, but. But knowing this doctrine now, it does make more sense. Um, there was an article in Foreign Policy that I just read where they talked about that creating, basically using tactical nukes to create a desert in Ukraine. Yeah. So that's that's a good list of uh, stuff to follow. So so now we can be as smart as Jeff Woods. Or as, oh, easily. As, as I've said, every time Jeff Woods posts something on Facebook, I'm reading it. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe the... Too. You know Donald Trump's uh, Truth Social Network or whatever it is. He's whatever he's calling that thing that yeah, he's trying to start. Yeah. Yeah, I won't find you over there. You're not you going to have an account there. No, no, no. over there. Um, no, I I get a lot of what I know from the guys on Twitter, and I gain that that it's not you can't call it Twitter feed, but it's the people I read on Twitter uh, by just slowly seeing smart people and saying that guy I like him, and then the smart guys all tend to talk to each other. And I found this cluster, right? Where nice. they're all just together and it's, it's incredibly valuable if you read them. Well, that's good. That's good for me because I I've gotten myself sort of painted into an echo chamber corner by mm. following the Ukrainian sources. And yeah. it's, it's almost like a guilty pleasure people are dying and suffering. So I don't want to imply there's any pleasure at all, but it's just nice to see the underdog, like you know, punching back. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it um, is. It is. it's not nice. They need to, uh, at yeah. all. And it's not, you know, but to see it's So a lot of the TikToks, a lot of the stuff that the Kiev independent and, the, and those correspondents are posting, they're winning the information war and it's right. getting us to root right. for them. But right. I, I may not be getting the whole story, <laughs> but I'm, I'm only watching one side's propaganda. Yeah. Um, so it'll be good to get some of these, uh, uh, other more well-rounded, uh, information sources. So. Right, right. These guys are realists. They understand strategy, they understand tactics, yeah. and they understand geopolitics. Yeah. So that that is an awful lot, but is there anything I didn't ask, anything you wanted to bring up that I didn't give you a chance to do? I believe we covered all the bases there, Steve. You're, you're a fine interviewer. Thank you for doing this. Um, really appreciate it. It's good catching up yeah. with you as well. Yeah, it is too. We haven't seen each other in Oh, it's been a long time. Oh, it was that one time. I was trying to tell Paul that who one you time were. out of our place, right? Was that the that, last? The thing I will never forget is standing around, hungover as shit, starting to drink again just to kill the pain. 
Yeah. And we were in your little radio lab or something. Oh, yeah. Podcast. And somehow we just, you couldn't talk unless you had a <laughs> CB mic or something. Right, right. And you had to say before you started talking. And you had to say over when you were done. You had to say over when you were done. And people started to try to say stuff without the mic. Or we just pretended we couldn't hear them. We can't hear right. you. You don't have a mic. And I was telling, I was trying to. I thought I had told Paul that story before, but I, I don't know. I'll never forget it. That was. You know what the funniest thing about that was, Steve? I had a mic for literally everybody there. Yes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> there was like half a dozen guys standing around and everybody had a mic they could use. So no wonder you, you, you're putting that. You're fine. You're getting paid to do it now. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I do radio and electronics for a living. And you did that even, even you were, um, we never talked to details about what you did at work uh, before you got back on the boat. But you were doing, were you doing radio and electronics? I, yeah, I was doing actually aircraft data links. Gotcha. Okay. So awesome. I, I see some of that going back and forth now and think, ah, I hope. Yeah. You well, the, uh, hope, you know, stay safe um, when you're back on uh, dirt side, as they say. Yep. Uh, maybe we'll Maybe we'll catch up. Meanwhile, thanks again. Appreciate you're, it. You're welcome. Good to talk to you. Thanks for listening. Keep this in mind. That was just the whiskey talking. <laughs> <laughs> I could use some whiskey right now at the dry ship. Mm-hmm.